You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I praise and thank you for this new day, for this opportunity to be together uh, in worship, and now for this opportunity to meditate on your words. And may we not just meditate on it, but may they dwell in us richly and inform our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This might sound simplistic or cliche or obvious, but, you know, it's been clear to me my whole life, and especially since being a a follower of Jesus, feeling acutely that there are two primary uh, forces in life. Uh, And when I first followed uh, Jesus, when I first became a follower, immediately afterwards, I went through a a wilderness period of, of, of doubt that made me acutely aware of the, the forces of evil, of, of darkness, um, that were combating the, the force of, of light and goodness and of life. Um, the force of, of death and darkness was, in retrospect, I realized, kind of coming in and, and waging war against the, the goodness that was finally in full effect in my life. There was doubt, there were intrusive thoughts of cursing God that I thought, where is this coming from, you know? And um, never before in my mind until then, and, and temptation to to sin, uh, any besetting sin that I had ramped up, you know, for about a period of a month or so until finally uh, coming out of that period, thankfully, but still constantly barraged by by that kind of thing off and on uh, throughout my life. Uh, as I say, only in retrospect do I, did I realize that, you know, this wasn't just some mental health thing, but it was, it was the forces of, of darkness at play trying to, um, to, to snatch up the, uh, the seed that was sown in my, in my life, you know, of God's Word, of life. Uh, and these are actually two overlapping lapping kingdoms, not just forces, but two overlapping kingdoms in the same geographic domain of, of this world. One is the kingdom of darkness, and the other is the kingdom of light. And Satan, or the devil, is the king of the kingdom of darkness. He's the prince of darkness, as our hymn just said. And Jesus, on the other hand, is the king of the kingdom of of light, and these two kingdoms are are waging a war that is largely invisible to us. They've been waging a war for, for millennia, um, in the universe, but in in each of our lives, inside of you, inside of me, these uh, kingdoms are waging war. And our two stories today, from uh, the one from Genesis and the one from Matthew, are two key battles in this war separated by thousands of years, but are essentially the, the, on the same battlefield. They're very much related. The story of the fall, capital F, of, of humankind, and the story of the temptation of Jesus Christ. And so we had the, just a bit from Genesis 2, and the beginning of Genesis 3 is the story of the fall, which is the origin story of why this world is the way that it is, why things aren't always going well. Why not everything is good and full of beauty and bliss? Of course, there are those things, but we still have depression and illness and cancer and other disease, the things that drive us mad that 
um, that make our lives, that ruin our lives, bankruptcy, divorce, you know, the, the coronavirus, and not just the coronavirus, but the fear. It's not so much the, the virus itself. I mean, in the scheme of things, not many people have been infected, but just the, the fear around it really is the main problem right now. Well, Genesis 3 is at the heart of why all these things have come into the world. The king of darkness entered the life of humankind and he led it astray and became its king, and that is Satan. And the way he did this was by telling lies that ultimately led to death. That's uh, really what's going on here uh, with Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 and also in Mark and Luke where the temptation accounts also appear is it's truth versus lies, and that Satan is uh, telling lies as Jesus explains in John chapter 8 when speaking to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Remember, he's the king of this world. He's your father, your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And these lies led to death. He's the greatest mass murderer in all history. There was no death until this happened. All human death ultimately goes back to him and his deception. But this is a, this is a conflict between uh, uh, truth and untruth. Andrew has a, a great line that I know he's uh, said from this pulpit before, but I've also heard him say in passing that if you want, uh, if you be careful of a man who says such a thing, if you want to tell a good lie, um, it should be about 80 to 90 percent true, uh, because it has to have a um, you know it has to have some sense of believability. It can't be so outlandish that people know they're being had. There has it has to be believable enough if you want uh, to tell a good lie. Um, and this is what you see in the Genesis passage, where Satan twists the word of God, deceiving Eve, causing her to doubt and leading her also to twist the word of God. You know, he's saying, did God actually say? And then we see in uh, Genesis 2 that God said, don't eat from the tree. And Eve, because of the deception, she also twists the word and adds to it and saying, and neither shall we touch it. Well, God never said that. And to add to God's word is, uh, is to take it away, to take away from it, to subtract. It's twisting it. And the other lie uh, that he uh, says is that you will become like God. Well, of course, they become like God in knowing the uh, difference between good and evil and what a burden that is. But the thing is, they're already like God. They're made in God's image. None of the other beasts of the field are made in God's image. Only they are. And so he's, he's twisting uh, the truth. And of course, Adam and Eve fail the test and are tempted by Satan, and this leads to humankind's demise. And then with Matthew 4, as I said, this is one of three temptation accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And once again, Satan is the tempter attempting to lead astray uh, the servant of God. And Satan does the same thing, twisting God's word again to to try to do this. Uh, And Jesus and Satan engage in a bit of a a Bible study. Their their match, their their fight is a bit of a Bible study. They're sparring with the word of God. But again, Satan uh, twists things. Everything that he offers is no better than what Jesus already has. He's God. He's divine. I mean, each of the things that Jesus offers, I mean, Satan offers Jesus, 
uh, are not, there are things that he already has, and he has uh, things far better than it. You know, fall down and worship me and become the king of this world. Well, he's already the king of this world and, and so much more. Uh, and so you see, again, that the, the deception is by twisting uh, the word. But unlike Adam, Jesus this time is not led astray. And he uses the word of God also. And he uses it perfectly to avoid uh, Satan's temptations. He even succeeds in making the devil leave by saying, Be gone, Satan. And he leaves. The king of light wins this battle over the king of darkness. But here's the thing, it's not the end of the war. This may be a battle in the war that is won, but it's not the end of the war. Well, here are my two main observations for us this morning that I want to make about these two stories. The first is that Jesus offers a model for us. Just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, and here, is, here, here are one of those places where Jesus provides a model for us in terms of resisting temptation, temptation from the forces of darkness, from anything uh, diabolical and demonic. And, and the model that he provides for us is chiefly to rely on God's Word when faced with temptation. Whereas the devil twists the Word, Jesus relies on its plain sense, and he fights. You know, Jesus, Jesus, Satan says it is written, and he's, he's using it in a deceptive way. Jesus says it is written, uh, in the way that God meant it to be understood. Uh, this is the, the only way that he, he fights Satan at the temptations. And here uh, we see enacted what Paul's describing in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, Ephesians chapter 6 is the full armor of God. The full armor of God is what you're supposed to put on in, in the battle against uh, anything satanic. And each of the, uh, the, each of the things that Paul describes in the full armor are, are defensive uh, pieces of armor. The first one being the belt of truth, you know, because Satan is the, the father of lies. Put on the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the uh, breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. These are all defensive uh, weapons or pieces of armament. The only offensive weapon that Paul describes, do you remember what that is? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's exactly what you see Jesus doing here, using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And finally, we see in this model he offers us is that we can tell the devil to go away when he's tempting us. Jesus says, be gone, Satan, and he leaves. This is why I had to sing uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the hymn before the sermon, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You see that that hymn is about this battle between these two kingdoms. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, what do you call it? It's a battle cry, this hymn. And one of the great lines that and Martin Luther in writing this hymn put in there is, one little word shall fell him. Well, what is that one little word? It's kind of hard to tell and uh, looking at the, uh, the hymn. So I looked this up online. I hope it's true because I found it in multiple places in my Google search, the same quote, um, <clears throat> that um, the, uh, Luther in another writing explained what he meant by this in, in the hymn. And he, um, it's kind of hard to understand, but he, do, he does tell you the answer. That's easy to understand. It's kind of weird what he says because he refers to himself in the third person. But he said this, 
For all such books written against me, even if there were as many as thousands of them written every day and every hour, are very easily refuted with the single word, devil, you lie. Just as that haughty beggar, Dr. Luther, referring to himself, sings so proudly and boldly in those words of his hymn, one little word shall fell him. So Luther, in explaining his hymn, said that he meant that the word, which is more like a saying, not a singular word, though in German it might be one word, I don't know, um, because they, I think they like smash words together in German, from what I understand. Um, like my last name, it probably means 17 things. Um, the one little word that he explains is, is devil you lie. You are a liar. Get away from me, Satan. You're not telling truth. You are lying. And that's basically what Jesus was doing in the temptation. Remember what he said in John chapter 8, that he is the father of lies. His character, when anything comes out of his mouth, it's not true. His character is always to be speaking in twisted ways. So that was the first observation, is that we have in Jesus an example of how to resist uh, diabolical temptation in this life, which will happen. Here's the second observation, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus needed to be tempted by the devil as part of our redemption. And we'll res- we'll, we said so much in our collect for today, we'll s- say it, well, not at this service, but later when we do communion, next week when you come back with the preface that we have in our communion service, <clears throat> that this was essential for him to be tempted in every way that we are. As the author of Hebrews explains in uh, chapter 4, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, referring to Jesus, uh, with our weakness, but one who in every respect has has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right before this story in Matthew chapter 3, at the end of that chapter, John the Baptist is baptizing, and Jesus asked to be baptized, and John would have prevented him, and Jesus explains why he needs to be baptized and saying, I'm doing this, it is fitting for this to happen, to fulfill all righteousness. And then right after that, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and is tempted uh, by Satan. So it's one of the first things we see him doing after he says that, to fulfill all righteousness, to be the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb to be our sacrifice on the cross, completely efficacious uh, for our redemption. Uh, Tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. This was a part of his uh, work in redeeming us. He was tempted and and succeeded. uh, succeeded. So this, this story of temptation is part of the gospel. Though we sin in Adam in Genesis chapter 3, falling into the hands of the king of darkness, Jesus was the substitute in our place, uh, redeeming us of our failure in the face of temptation. In other words, Jesus is the second or the new or really the true Adam, the, the true Adam for us, representing all of humanity. Uh, there's no uh, better news than that, and it's, it's right here in this story as well. Well, here are two, uh, here's, a, here's a final thought. Those are my two meditations on this text about Jesus being a model for us in resisting temptation and the, the role that the story of temptation plays in our salvation. But let me end with a warning and also some good news about the topic of temptation. If you read the Luke 4 account 
of the story of, the t- of, the, of Christ's temptation, he adds something at the very end that isn't in the Matthew account. Of course, in Matthew, Jesus says, be gone, and the devil leaves. Well, Luke says this, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That he left, but of course he came back. And we know that that uh, worked out, and things like him uh, causing Judas to betray Jesus and leading to Jesus' death on the cross. So the devil might go away uh, when we do battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, uh, but he can come back. And this is why Peter, in his first epistle, at the very end of that uh, letter, he says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that uh, the, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now be watchful. Be sober-minded. Don't, don't fall asleep on this watch when it comes to the devil. He's waiting for such a, a situation to come in. You know, the best way he does that is by convincing us to believe that uh, he doesn't exist or is less powerful than he actually is. That's the great line from the movie, The Usual Suspects. Remember, Virgil Kent says... Um, the, the greatest trick the devil, devil, devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. You know, be watchful of this, uh, that he, don't allow him to have a foothold foot in your life. But here's the good news. We know the, the very end of the story. It's kind of weird living in this life because we know about the redemption of Jesus Christ and we, we've been given the vision of the end of the story. In Revelation uh, chapter 20, Uh, Although we live in this world that's still infected with darkness, we know what is to come ahead, that this war has a victor, and we know who will win the war, and that is Jesus. He will defeat the devil, and he will no longer be the king over this world. And meanwhile, these small battles of temptation wage on in this life. The war has, in a sense, already been won, and an already but not yet sort of reality. And yet, these temptations that we face are sort of outlying skirmishes, you know, uh, on battlefields with people who don't realize that the war's already over. And when we are faced with these, uh, these battles of temptation, we can take up the sword of the Spirit and simply say, as Martin Luther would, devil, you lie. You are a liar because that's all his temptations are. They are lies that lead to death, and there is no truth in them. There is no life in them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we lament the fact that um, we are a fallen humanity, and uh, we're given over to Satan's lies and temptations. But we rejoice that you sent your son to deliver us, and he uh, was tempted in every way that we are and yet did not sin, was uh, victorious over temptation and the perfect spotless lamb for us. Lord, help us to persevere in this life when faced with temptation, to put on your full armor, and especially to take up the sword of your spirit, uh, which is your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.